0: This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Welcome to IA Forward, and welcome to day four of my life without caffeine.
1: Total torture. I'm not going to get into your reasoning here, I guess. The cute boy
0: decided that it would be better for his health and his blood pressure to give up caffeine, and I try to be supportive when he's doing things for his health and vice versa. So we're doing this together.
1: I thought a manageable amount of coffee was healthy for your heart.
0: Well, since I'm completely allergic to coffee, then that is not ever healthy for me.
1: Okay. I did not know that.
0: Or you knew it and you forgot it.
1: Maybe. I have been thinking I need to cut down because there was this little FaceTime event a couple of days ago with one of our daughters where it went down the path of the daughter saying, I had two cups of coffee today. Like... That was crazy. And my wife was like, well, I had three and then I looked at him and said, yeah, I had five. And I wondered why I sit up in the bed at 3 a.m.
0: There you go. You wonder why your mind is spinning. But a lot of people, that's what they do to survive. And, and I think that, you know, when I was on the radio and doing a morning show, I was probably the only radio co-host in history that did not have a, a morning show that was
1: driven by coffee first thing in the morning. So I don't even know how to comprehend that. I have to get up and drink coffee. That's what I have to do. I get up, I drink coffee.
0: You know, we're just going to kind of see how it goes today. Everyone's still living in, in our house. And if I seem a little bit edgy, just give me some grace today. Good, How's that?
1: Good luck to you guys. Grace I <laughs> definitely need a lot of grace.
0: In a previous podcast we talked about insurance speak and how that can be a challenge when it comes to not only serving our clients but uh, from our perspective an ENO challenge. And it got me thinking that what happens when we have clients that don't speak the same language? What kind of ENO exposure are we setting ourselves up for there? And I know this happens. We have clients that speak Vietnamese or speak Spanish and And we're actually talking to their 12 13 14 year olds who were bilingual and they are translating for us what happens if something goes wrong
1: that's a true story the 12 year old 13 year old like we know of that happening and and that's real which is crazy to say out loud we had a 12-year-old child translating for a client and we just put the hands of coverage explanation into a 12-year-old
0: and adults don't understand it so we're asking a 12-year-old to explain it
1: It sounded better when I was thinking about it in my head, but when you said it out loud, it was kinda like crap. What happened?
0: This happens more than once. Like we know this happens with agents. It's a big
1: challenge. First of all, let's just talk straight language barrier. Being in Texas, we have bilingual staff members, Spanish and English, and obviously Houston, we have dealt with agents that have, whether it be Vietnamese, Korean, Mandarin. This has been something that we've seen before dealt with before and translation isn't always equivalent or smooth and I am the ignorant single language person in this conversation and we're not even talking about throwing in there southern English versus the rest of the world (laughs) so we could even stay within the English speaking world and we can still confuse each other with what things mean and what we're saying and how we're saying it this is a challenge to kind of get our heads around.
0: Going back to my initial scenario. You're put in this situation, you're not bilingual, you don't have a bilingual staff member. What do you do?
1: There's one thing that is going to help you in the court system, it's going to help you in the ENO environment. And this is not language specific. Issues. This should always be done. There should always be a follow-up of the conversation, especially in a deletion reduction of coverage or cancellation for signatures. Obviously, there's things that we need to be doing. I am a firm believer that we should always follow up our conversations in writing. This is what we discussed, this is what we're doing. And the reality of it is, is you could be in this discussion, an interpretation can be misconstrued. But I'm pretty sure, and I cannot think of a time in my career where it didn't play out this way, but when you have something in writing, it is easier to say, oh, okay, that's what that meant. That can be misconstrued too, but you have at least that from an E&O perspective. As I just take the pure insurance E&O perspective here, I love always following up those conversations when we're taking action on something or we're putting coverage in place or we've explained something. I like following that up with something in writing.
0: Are you putting that through Google Translate or how are you putting that in writing so they understand it?
1: I'm not talking about someone that we don't have a translator for. If we had a translator, then in theory, they should be able to translate that. I'm putting that in my language. That is the business language of the United States at this point. Not going political, here. But our language as a business is English. So we are going to send that out in English. I think that that is a reality. You have to make a decision of can you be the best resource for this client? Can you be the person doing business with this client? If you have a language barrier, if you don't have that internal staff member, if you don't have the people on staff that are bilingual in that native language, then you need to take a step back and say, okay, are we really serving the client best in order to be in this? Now, my contention is finding yourself in that spot. Agencies based in the US, agencies doing business here, written language, putting confirmations out via email, via letter, if you still do that, that's going to go out in your business native language, which is Probably going to be English. If someone, even a 12 year old, is there doing interpretations for you, then you have to be able to take that place of we are sending this out, you are doing business, we are sending this business letter communication out in English because we are a US based organization. I do believe there has to be some precedent there that you are protecting yourself from an ENO standpoint by confirming that information in your ongoing business language.
0: I love the idea of having a referral partner that is bilingual. In other words, if I had an agency and I don't speak Spanish, I don't speak Vietnamese, but I have an informal agency partner that I can send my Spanish-speaking potential customers to, at first thought, that seems like a great idea. And that's what I would do just... Off the top of my head. Because that way I knew that they were getting what they needed. Someone was communicating with them. But as that's going through my head, I have the question of, does that open me up for ENO exposure that I have made a recommendation and something goes wrong there?
1: No. I mean, look, we can ENO ourselves to death. We can risk manage ourselves to death. And no, I don't think that would be the case. I don't think that opened you up to refer someone over. I think the reality that most of the time And there is that small, small percentage of the time you could find yourself in a language barrier scenario. My experience has been because of the language issue. And again, it is strictly based on the language culture issue is that we work with agency partners that are Vietnamese or are Korean or are Hispanic. And that is their first language. English is their second language. And we work with those individuals. They are professionals and they market themselves to that culture. In Houston, Texas, let's just take Houston. Houston is a melting pot. We know that. And most people know that. Certainly, if you live in Texas, you know that. There are so many different languages that are spoken. And there's a marketplace for that and for those individuals. And we have... Have agents that we work with and agents that we know that cater to that. For us that are single language English speakers like me, I think you have to make a business decision, sort of that walkaway power. And salespeople don't like to hear me say stuff like that. Don't make the sale. But if you're struggling at the beginning and you're having to get the client or prospective client's 12-year-old to do interpretation here, then I got to say, here's your sign. So this is raising a red flag for me of can we be the best, most professional risk manager, insurance professional for this prospective client? Or do we need to suggest that they go work with someone that actually can speak to them in their native tongue? I think that's fair. And I don't think that's discriminatory or anything like that. That is simply being good for that customer.
0: Beyond the language barrier gap, there's also sometimes a generational language barrier gap. And there's a phrase that I have recently found out that you very much dislike, and that is
1: you do you. You are correct. This is an overused keyboard warrior social media phrase that is driving me insane. You do you. What it says to me is that I am closed off to debate with respect. It's sort of this passive aggressive, I don't agree with you. I'm done debating you and I'm not going to respect your opinion here or your thought process here. I feel like that's what that says. And again, maybe very generational. I'm a heavy Xer. So I'm going to see that differently than a Z or a a millennial for sure. And that's okay.
0: I think sometimes phrases like this are not in Intended to even remotely offend someone. But when we use a phrase like that, it can be completely misinterpreted by someone. Of a different generation. Of course, inflection, context clues, all of those things, because the, the same thing can be said with a completely different tone of voice and it comes across differently. But I think it's another thing that we need to be really careful of when we're speaking that our colloquialisms can be misinterpreted very easily when it comes to clients.
1: This is why this is a little bit hard for me. The you do you thing is no different. We went through that phase of talk to the hand. These are not really created for respect. I guess I am maybe too old-fashioned. I am a Matthew 537 guy. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And when I even find myself not doing that, I get frustrated. If I am not speaking clearly to the point and I am beating around the bush, which I can do at times, is let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And I don't think you do you or I don't think those phrases were... created out of respect for the other person. That's where I would come back to is when you are speaking to someone and you are speaking to someone in a respectful way, then you're not going to have a very good outcome and you're not going to be a very good communicator in that moment if you're not doing it through a respectful tone or a respectful phrase.
0: If you can't tell from my accent, I grew up in the very deep South and grew up in a yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir household. And it amazes me how many people get offended when I use yes ma'am or yes sir. And I think that's kind of what I was talking about it. There are some things culturally even, whether it's generationally or culturally, that we say that we can't ever really imagine that it's going to
1: offend someone. It's one of these things that it really kind of creates this immediate hostile, environment, it makes me feel like someone's constantly, if they're the receiving end of that, they don't see that as polite. They see that as offensive. Like what is offensive about manners? I don't understand it.
0: I know that probably half of my team's messages to you are, yes, sir, or no, sir. I mean, that's how we were reared. But I can remember growing up when we would go to Pennsylvania to to visit family and people would make comments about it. And I would just look at mom like, what's wrong with these people? They think, yep, is a good idea. Like, I would never look at somebody and go, yep, uh uh-huh. That feels funny even coming out of my mouth. I mean, y'all, my dog is Southern. I can look at Mary Bell and say no, and she just, like, continues to do it. But if I say no, ma'am, she stops what she's doing. And I didn't even really realize that I had trained my dog to be Southern.
1: I know I'm showing some generational issues here, but I just don't understand it, and I want to understand it, but I haven't heard a good argument for it yet, because most of the people are just going to say, you do you. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think that that's at the core problem is I can't get a really respectful debate on this from anyone around why this is a problem. I know that yeah or yep is not respectful in any language in any region in e- in any culture to me. I'm open for the debate. I would love to have that debate professionally, respectfully of why yes sir, no sir. yes ma'am, no ma'am is offensive.
0: We're talking to our agency owners. We're talking to our producers that want to become agency owners. How do we apply this idea to help us be more successful agents, to help us grow our agency, to help us make sure that our clients are comfortable, that they are getting the coverage they need, and not opening ourselves up to major challenges long term? I know we've
1: talked about getting out of the insurance speak, and we want to do that. We want to talk in layman's terms, common sense terms. We want to tell stories. The other thing is tone. Tone has been a challenge in my life just because evidently I have this thing called a dad voice that sometimes when I say things to people, I am saying it, I think, with confidence and I guess a certainness in my voice that I believe this is right. And sometimes that tone comes across as as a little bit more authoritative than maybe I intended when I was just simply trying to communicate something. Tone is really, really important. Sometimes you just got to get off the text and the email and you got to pick up the phone. We're not connecting on this email exchange or this text exchange. And sometimes you just got to talk. Sometimes you just got to get off that messaging platform, get into a conversation, clarify it. Then you can follow up in writing with that clarified understanding. But that's a big one for me is I don't think we pick up the phone enough in today's world. We live on teams and email and texting, and we don't want to actually talk generationally. This is a real big problem because I don't know that my kids, when they were teenagers, would ever answer the phone to have an actual conversation. It was so unheard of in their minds to not text or snap. You could FaceTime them because then they would see you. And actually, that was the only way I could get them to really talk to me on a device, not in person, was to actually FaceTime. That made more sense to them. But to actually get on the phone and just have a strictly verbal conversation. Some people, People just, they're not going to do it. It's a challenge. And I think this is something that we need more of.
0: One of the rules slash suggestions that you implemented last year with the leadership team and then through all of our our team members was if it is longer than three lines in an email, you pick up the phone. And this is one of those things that has really changed my communication within the organization. And I'll sit down and I'll type the email out and I'll be like, I'm on the third paragraph and I'm like, okay, this is nuts. This is nuts. So I will pick up the phone. That has been a, a great change that I have made as far as communicating over the last year. So I think that's a that's a pretty good takeaway is if, if it's more than three lines, if it's more than a paragraph, pick up the phone and call somebody. And yes, it takes time out of your day, but also it keeps you from having to reword an email three or four times trying to make sure that what's said is how you meant it. There's no intention interpretation for that. So I want to go back to working with a client that's a limited English speaker. And I think they say that looking statistically, that's about 8% of the country. But when you look at places like Texas, New York, New Jersey, Florida, California, you're looking at more 15 to 18% when it comes to that. And even if you're able to get the sale, even if you're able to take care of... Additions or any of those types of things. What scares me about it is catastrophe. When something happens and there is a language barrier, people get frustrated very easily on both sides. And I think that's maybe where this can really turn ugly is not in the everyday business, but when something goes wrong.
1: It's a reality. I mean, I have a daughter that's an educator and being ESL, English as a Second Language, ESL certified was a requirement for her. It is a challenge. I'm going to leave you speechless. And say I don't have the perfect answer for this one. It is a challenge and it's a growing challenge. We have to know some boundaries here as agency owners. We have to be able to train our people. I don't think it's just discard it in any way. That's not what I mean. I mean, We need to think about the client in this situation. We really need to put ourselves in their shoes, try to find them some help to the right place where that language barrier doesn't exist. I just feel like being able and disciplined to be willing to pass on a piece of business to get a client into a better place is still right now my number one answer to this situation. Now, if you find yourself obviously in a situation where you already have a client like this, that could be challenging challenging, but being able to get that explanation out there and have that understanding in place of, hey, I just may not be the best place for you. I may need to get you to a better place. And then connecting with that, getting help from a carrier that may give you a resource there, or a carrier that can help you with an agent that maybe focuses on this particular segment of the marketplace would also be an option as well.
0: Did you know that about eight years ago, I had the brilliant idea that I was going to learn Mandarin. I don't
1: know if I would call that a brilliant idea.
0: Or to quote my husband, even people that have really great ideas have really bad ones too.
1: I am just a pathetic learner of foreign language and Mandarin is up there. Just being able from a complication standpoint, the only thing I know about Mandarin is it's definitely complicated in terms of learning if it's not your native tongue. And so Brilliant did not come to mind.
0: Basically, after about the first five months, my language partner just told me that he didn't feel as though I had an ear for the language that maybe I should try something else. So, yeah, that was that was one of those goals that I had that just it was it was bad.
1: Let me just let me just say that for clarity. When I say I want to be able to learn a foreign language, like I want to be able to learn a foreign language that allows me to be to the sociable level. I want to be able to order at a restaurant. I want to be able to have a passing conversation that gets me by. Like I don't necessarily mean I want to become extremely fluent. I don't know that I could go there. When we were in Spain several months ago, visiting my daughter living in Spain, it was very vivid to me when I've been in Mexico on vacation. It's very vivid to me that it would be really, really nice to have this ability to communicate. I don't mean coverage option contract communicate I mean like socially communicate and that's probably the point that you're making here and that is two different things and when we're doing business, we can understand and speak a little bit of Spanish socially maybe, or we can achieve that goal. But contractual business exchange, doing business and your customer only speaks Spanish and you only speak English, that's the point I think you're at is like, okay, wait a minute. What do we do with this? How do we make sure that we don't accidentally, like I don't think it would ever be intentional, end up in a bad spot either for the client or for ourselves with that environment.
0: I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Olympic gold medalist Katie Smith. Do not undervalue yourself. Be able to express your value and what impact you can make.
1: Attitudes a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at
0: iaforward.com.